everyone, and welcome to Minute 22 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we take a wild trip through the 1987 John Hughes comedy, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today, and hopefully all week, is J-Dub of Dubsism. Welcome back to the show, J-Dub. Oh, great to be back. Yeah, we we, we had a, some interesting conversations yesterday. We'll, we'll see where things go today. <laughs> Who knows? So this episode, episode 22, begins with Dell giving an excuse and ends with Dell cracking his knuckles. <laughs> so yesterday we ended things off with Neil and Dell both trying to find comfortable positions in bed. And then we had a little bit of a conversation about exploding beer cans, which is described in the script, but in the movie itself, it's only mentioned in passing. So Basically, once again, we have Dell apologizing. He says, well, it's been a long day. It just didn't occur to me. You know, that's the reason why he didn't even think about the fact that he was causing problems by allowing these beer cans to shimmy <laughs> on the vibrating bed with it. <laughs> I guess that's, that's the best way to, to look at it. Right. But he, he does sound once again, sincere in his apology here. You know, he, he doesn't really. And then Neil responds, it didn't occur to you. So I have to sleep in a puddle of beer. And then Dell's response is, do you want to switch? And he says, no, I just want to sleep. Now in the movie, it doesn't explain the whole thing with the beer. So it makes it sound as if Dell is completely responsible for Neil's side of the bed being filled with beer. Okay. But we know from the script that that's not true. Again, Neil didn't know that the cans were going to explode. We have to give him credit for that. But on the other hand, why should Dell have to sleep on Neil's puddle of beer if they both opened it? I mean, my assumption is, is if they both opened their cans, then both sides are going to be completely filled with beer. Dell is the one who's used to the CD motel and Neil isn't. Um, that doesn't mean that, you know, they should switch sides. It's just Neil is the one who's going to react more violently, may not be the right word, but he's going to have the more, the bigger reaction than Dell is. Yeah. Dell, I think, has slept in a lot of puddles in his life. <laughs> it's very possible. It's very possible. So Neil uh, then said, no, I just want to sleep. And then Dell's response is, me too. I am bushed. Now, do you know where that phrase comes from? I am bushed. Have you ever heard that? I mean, you probably heard it before, but have I've you ever thought about where it comes from? Times, but, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> one of those guys that ah, I wonder where that phrase comes from. And then somehow... In the age of technology, I never bother managing to look it up. Um, oh, by the way, speaking of looking things up, my email is already filling up with um, pillow ads. So I don't know how you put the mojo on me from last week, but you, but you did. Yesterday, but, yesterday. But, what do you mean last week? Yesterday, last week. Uh, see, I'm, this is how inundated I am. I got to find a non-off gas and pillow so I can get a good night's sleep. <laughs> Right. So, so bushed is actually a term that came from the Dutch settlers who used it. It, it was a term used for the wilderness. Okay. And then, but when they translated it into English, they changed it to bush. Okay. Clearing away forest was hard work. And they often proclaimed after carving out a trail that they were bushed, exhausted. Okay. Today, the word actually means to be exhausted from anything and not just physical outdoor labor. You know, okay. You, I mean, cause Dell didn't do any physical labor here. He's just completely tired. So that makes sense. And then the two of them say to each other, good night. Good night. Now, do you know where that expression comes from? Good night. <laughs> yes. I I already used up my can't look it up story. So, no, I don't know where it came from. 
All right. So and the, the little bit of research I did on this, it says, I, I found that no one can actually truly trace the exact origin of the expression. And most people accept that it was created as a way of saying goodbye for the day and wishing someone a pleasant night of sleep. However, there are interesting stories that say that during medieval times, when health was more precarious, people would often die in their sleep. So because of this, the goodnight expression rose as a way of being able to say goodbye properly to loved ones in case of untimely death in the night. So it was have a good night and hopefully I'll see you in the morning. <laughs> hopefully. So at this point, we see that, that Dell then reaches over and picks something up off the, the, the side of his nightstand. He pulls out what looks like a book and he tries to read. Now he's making a lot of noise as he takes out his bookmark from the book. Now, what's funny is, is Del just said two seconds ago that he is completely bushed, but then he takes out a book and starts trying to read. The Canadian mounted. <laughs> okay. So I, I guess that's an easier way for him to fall asleep by looking at that. So again, they, they, the, the way that they do the shot is great because we see Neil and then we see Dell in the background doing these things. You know, there's a lot of things that he's going to be doing throughout this the course of this minute that all is happening in the background. Because we're focusing on Neil, but we see Dell in the background. So he takes a book out, and then he pulls out the bookmark. Now, the the origin of a bookmark, okay, a, a bookmark is a thin marking tool commonly made of card, leather, or fabric. And it's used to keep track of reader's progress in a book and allows the reader to easily return to where the previous reading session ended, right? Sometimes people use paper, metals, sometimes silver or brass, silk, wood, cord, and plastic. Okay, there are also books that actually have bookmarks woven into them in order to help making it easier to get back to the page that you're looking at. Okay. Is is page folding ever allowed? Yeah, I'm sure it is allowed. So I also was wondering about the the, the history of a bookmark, right? So apparently the the first known use of a bookmark was in the first century AD. Okay. Where it was it was mentioned that that along with codices that people would would have they would have what are what were you know use use as bookmarks but in the 6th century AD they found an an ornamented leather lined book okay with vellum on the back I don't know what vellum is and it had a leather strap to the cover of the Coptic Codex in Dublin they found this in in uh, sorry it's it's right now in Dublin. It's in a museum in Dublin, but it was found near Egypt under the ruins of the of a monastery. So I, I found that interesting because you know we take it for granted that, like you said, you can dog ear, or you can you know find something to use as a bookmark. Personally, I I, I never like to dog ear my books or write in them or anything like that. You know, for me, I'm I'm one of those people who are, are a little anal retentive about books that I want to keep them in as good shape as possible. It would be that would be my wife, the bibliophile. She, I mean, dog earing a book page is one of those things. Like it's like the guy who doesn't return his shopping cart at the supermarket and his car his cart bangs into your car. It's it's just not allowed. That's why I asked the question. Right. Okay. And and at this point, Dell then reaches over and you hear him knock something off of the counter table on the 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 night table on the side of him, and then you see him once again holding the book up and he lights a lighter. He, he took out a cigarette lighter and is trying to read via cigarette lighter. So we're, we're back to this. What is the history of a cigarette lighter? Any, any idea? A history of a cigarette lighter. I'm going to guess that it 
dovetails rather nicely with the history of the cigarette. Mm, actually not. <laughs> okay, well, um, I'm not well, first, the new car on for, this game show. First, so. <laughs> first I'll explain what a lighter is. Okay, we, we all know what a lighter is, but we don't know how, I, I never knew how it works. Okay, so a lighter is a portable device which generates a flame and can be used to ignite a variety of items, such as cigarettes, gas stoves, fireworks, candles, or campfires. It consists of a metal or plastic container filled with a flammable liquid or compressed gas, a means of, of ignition to produce the flame, and some provision for extinguishing the flame. Alternatively, a lighter can be powered by electricity using an, an electric arc or heating element to ignite the target. Okay, so the first lighters were were converted flintlock pistols that used to to carry gunpowder. In 1662, okay, the Turkish traveler uh, Evliya Selibi, probably mispronounced that one, was visiting Vienna as a member of the Ottoman diplomatic mission and admired the lighters being manufactured there. He, it says, uh, enclosed in a kind of tinder box, in a tiny box of t- or tinder, a steel, sulfur, and, and resinous wood. When, sh- when struck, just like a firearm wheel, the wood bursts into flame. This is useful for soldiers on, on campaigns. One of the first lighters was invented by a German chemist named Johann Wolfgang uh, Doberaner in 1823. And it was often called Doberiner's lamp. The lighter worked by passing flammable hydrogen gas produced within a lighter by a chemical reaction over a platinum metal, metal catalyst, which in turn caused it to ignite and give off a great amount of heat and light. Okay. Then in 1903, there's a guy named Karl Auer von Welschbach who patented ferocerum. And that is what actually makes modern lighters possible because when scratched, it produces a light spark, which is responsible for lighting the fuel that is used in many lighters. And it's quite inexpensive, uh, inexpensive and is used for many disposable items. Okay. Is it is it wrong that I really wanted one of those guys to be named either Bic or Zippo? No, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> So during World War II, soldiers started to create their own lighters by entering cartridge cases, right? One of them came up, one of the soldiers came up with with the idea of inserting a chimney cap with holes in it to make it more windproof, which you probably are familiar with from a Zippo or anything like that, where it has the thing. Okay, so Zippos. So the Zippo lighter and the company were invented and founded by George Grant Blaisdell in 1932. The Zippo was always noted for its reliability, and they had a lifetime warranty because they would they would mark it off so that it was windproof. Okay. How many Zippos do you think were produced between 1932 and 2012? That's going to be a big number because. Half the guys I knew in the Marine Corps and, and, and the, you know, the Navy that you're around all the time, a Zippo was a prized possession. In that time range you mentioned, I'm... We're talking, eight, what was it? We're talking 80 years. 80 years. 100 million. 500 million. That's just unbelievable, that number. 
So they, they originally used something called uh, uh, naphtha as the fuel source. And in the 1950s, they switched it to, do you know the answer to that one? What did they switch butane. to? Butane, correct. Okay. Now, what was the reason that they changed it? Because it, it allows for a controllable flame and it's it, it causes, it has less odor, odor than, than the uh, naphtha did. And I would guess that butane is cheaper to produce. Yes. That's probably, that is definitely true. Now, what are the four countries that produce the most lighters in the world? Not just Zippos, right, today. The most lighters? Yes. Pop countries with large populations and large populations who smoke. So the United States has to be on that list. That is correct. Uh, I'm going to go Russia has to be on that list. It is not. Okay. Well, uh, China. <laughs> yes. And okay, so the other two are France and Thailand. France, okay. I was mm. gonna say Canada, but like, there's like four people in Canada. That can't be right. So I, I think they actually actually now have five. But yeah, you're just not up on. Oh, <laughs> they finally relaxed their immigration laws. Outstanding. Well, outstanding. <laughs> it, but the, the Canadians need another goalie. Is that what happened? <laughs> Apparently. Apparently, and then the the shot changes. You know, we we can see we can see that Neil is annoyed by all of this going on here, but he also knows that he just wants to sleep. He doesn't really care. Let him do whatever he wants to do. Just let me go to sleep. And it's just funny that we see this all going on in the background. You know, it's it's it. John Hughes did a great way of shooting this by by keeping everything focused completely on Steve Martin throughout the entire thing. So then we get a shot of Neil's uh, very high-end house <laughs> in in Chicago. We're back. We're back in yes. Chicago, and we get to see his wife Susan lying in bed, completely. She looks annoyed. Okay, but didn't she say beforehand that she was? You know, he. She said, "I'll wait up for you," and then he said, "No, go to sleep." And then he woke her up when he called her from Wichita. Yes, he did. I guess I guess she couldn't fall back asleep, so she's now watching something on TV, and we get to hear some of the the quotes from the TV. We hear a woman on TV saying, "Then she's sleeping in our house. I'll have to burn the sheets." And then a man says, "What? What if it was one of my one of your friends, huh? What if the shoe was on the other foot?" And her response was, "I'd go barefoot." Now, do you have any idea where this quote is from? I do not. Okay, this is a quote from the movie. She's having a baby which was written and directed by John Hughes and came out at least a year, if not two later, two years Is after that, this movie that, came that, out. Uh, that's that's uh, Elizabeth Birkins and Kevin Bacon. Is that, that is it? correct. You are right. That's probably why I don't know that phrase. I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, so I just find it really funny that, that he was, that he, he had, has one of his characters watching one of his, future movies that haven't that hasn't been released yet they you probably know. didn't have to pay the royalties for anything because he directed it so that is somebody was, you know that is definitely true and again for anyone keeping track kevin kevin bacon was in the beginning of this movie also so we actually get kevin bacon twice in here once as someone trying to you know, get a cab before neil and another time by talking on susan's tv <laughs> and see, we didn't even realize it, but we already have two of our six degrees of separation with Kevin Bacon here. There you go. That's true. That's 100% can you cook, true. Can you cook bacon with a Zippo? 
I don't know. I don't eat bacon. It's not kosher. So I couldn't, I couldn't answer that one. I've never tried. <laughs> I just realized what an ass I am for asking you that question. Uh, what? You can ask. I can't even get a question right. And then I ask the wrong question. You Why can you ask. Back? You, you can ask. <laughs> just there are, there are Jews that will eat it. So you don't have to, you know, I, I'm not like everybody has that, <laughs> but that, well, yeah, That's it's, it's like the old joke, you know, Jews won't eat pork unless it's in Chinese food, but, you know. <laughs> Not me, but yeah. <laughs> okay, so now I've offended Canadians and Jews. Uh, what what nah. can I do next? <laughs> so we're, we're, we'll give you a two-week suspension like Whoopi Goldberg. How's that? <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I am going to refrain from comment at this point and just go back <laughs> to my standard line when we hit an awkward moment like this, like, moving right along. <laughs> So we're back to a shot in the motel, and once again, we see Neil, and in the background is Dell, and he's cracking his knuckles and making a hell of a lot of noise while doing it. And we can see that Neil is wide awake. He's got his eyes open, <laughs> and Dell is he, – he starts to moan <laughs> by – you know, while he's cracking his knuckles. He's, he's doing a really good job of, of that. Now – what do you know about cracking knuckles? Um, I know that um, it's really annoying to listen to somebody else do it. Um, despite that, I occasionally do it myself. Um, it kind of reminds me of Dell in general that, you know, he's politely annoying. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if people are going to be able to hear that. Have to, hopefully I don't it think anybody can hear that now. Right. I'm not arthritic enough for that yet, but uh, yeah. anyway, um, yeah. let me guess. You have the etiology of knuckle cracking, of right? Course. Course, of course. Of course. Why not? So cracking joints is manipulating one's joints to produce a distinct cracking or popping sound. It is sometimes performed by physical therapists, chiropractors, osteopaths, and masseurs in Turkish baths. Okay, the cracking of joints, especially knuckles, was long believed to be arthritis. Uh, was long believed to lead to arthritis and other joint problems. However, this is not supported by any medical research that has been done. Okay, the cracking mechanism and the resulting sound is caused by carbon dioxide cavitation bubble bubbles, suddenly, uh, suddenly partially collapsing inside the joints. So, in order to be able to crack the same knuckle again. You have to usually wait about 15 minutes before the bubbles will be able to reform. So okay. I found that see, this is one of the things that, that we all crack our knuckles and or have heard people crack our knuckles. I, I never thought about what exactly you're doing. there. <laughs> you just probably and, shouldn't put next to a guy you're trying to sleep. Exactly. Especially if you've already annoyed him enough with everything else that's going on. Absolutely. That's what I would say. Yeah. So do you have anything else uh, about this minute before we move on to the script? No, no. All right. So in the script, there's there's very few differences in this particular minute, but I found something very interesting. So Dell says, it's been a long day. It didn't occur to me. Neil says, it didn't occur to you, so I have to sleep in a puddle of beer. And Dell's response is, well, I'm sleeping in pizza. You want to switch? <laughs> so apparently, you know, he spilled pizza on the bed at some point. <laughs> and then Neil says, good night. And Dell says, sleep tight. Now, we're going to go a little deeper into that one. Do you know where that phrase comes from? Sleep tight? Sleep tight? It, uh, 
the only time I've ever heard the word tight used uh, outside of its normal uh, parlance is, you know, is a, is a metaphor for being drunk. I'm guessing that's not right. No, it could be right, but that's not what I was going to discuss. So it actually dates back to the time when people used to sleep on beds made of rope. If the ropes were pulled tight, then it would be more comfortable to sleep on. When your house guests had overstayed their welcome, the ropes would be loosened in the hopes that they would vacate your home. In, in actual so fact, replace <laughs> the bed in my guest room that my mother-in-law <laughs> sleeps on with rope. Okay. There you go. All right. Now we're getting somewhere. In actual fact, the phrase was first used in 1866 by Susan Bradford Epis in her in her diary through some eventful years. Okay, by this time the the box springs had already replaced rope beds. Okay, the phrase is often used along with what's the rest of the phrase? Sleep tight and don't let the bed bugs bite. Don't let the bed bugs bite. So some people believe that the phrase relates to tucking the sheets in tightly around you in an attempt to keep the bed bugs out. This is not very plausible, but it rhymes nicely. <laughs> Our readers would certainly like to read the original sleep tight nursery rhyme. Okay, so there's a, a, a nursery rhyme that was this. It's good night, sleep tight, don't let the bed bugs bite. Wake up bright in the morning light to do what's right with all your might. Okay, so, and what it's they not say here is. as horrible as most of the nursery rhymes I know. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Or, or as funny as Andrew Dice Clay nursery rhymes. But we're not going there. Oh, you're, you're saying, okay, you just put me on a two-week suspension. Now you're trying to get me fired. Okay, I see how this works. It's more likely that likely that the word tight in the phrase refers to a definition meaning securely or safely or properly. The use of the word dates back to Shakespearean times. Thus, when you're telling someone to sleep tight, you're actually wishing them a proper night's sleep. So that actually makes sense. Well, okay. and if you're going to make me sleep on a bed made out of ropes, I might want a couple of belts before I do it. So, Exactly. <laughs> and then the difference in the script, instead of lighting a, his lighter to read the book, he actually takes out a match and lights a match. And then Neil says to him, what are you doing? And he says, having a butt in bed. He says, do you have a problem with that? And he says, a big problem. And Dale says, I'm not going to fall asleep. And Neil said, I'd rather not risk it. I don't smoke. Smoke annoys me, especially in the dark, in bed. And Dell says, I always have a smoke before I go to sleep. And then Neil switches off the light. So I'm glad they cut this out. It doesn't make any sense, this this whole part of the conversation between the two of them. It's it's doesn't it doesn't move the, the story forward at all. You know, so I'm glad that they they, they changed that. And that's pretty much everything, the, the differences between the script and the, the final cut of the film. So every day, myself or my guest will give a little adventure or misadventure of something that might have happened to us along the path of our journeys in life. So, J.W., you want to give us another story for Off the Beaten Track for this well, Tuesday? This, this, this goes back to this is This is Las Vegas of, oh, 35 years ago, like maybe casino era the movie casino no that was only 25 years ago well but it's set in the like late 70s early 80s oh okay that's what you meant the story i'm going to tell is 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 mid 80s um and this is before we raised a lot of the old hotels and put up the new big you know gargantuan jobs they have now uh college guys going on a road trip go to vegas long story short book 
a seedy uh, hotel that was right off downtown called the Lee Motel. This easily the filthiest, nastiest hotel I've ever seen in my life. We get there, and of course, we're college guys, so we're all bungled into one room. And what happens is, you know, walking from the bed to the bathroom, uh, my feet, the bottom of my feet are completely black from whatever is on that carpet, you know. And then get there, into the bathroom, find right on the floor, right in front of the toilet, is a toenail. Ooh. Not a toenail clipping, an entire toenail. Ooh. <laughs> and that's when I went back out to my buddies and said, fuck this, I'm sleeping in the car. And this is, <laughs> okay, this is like one notch above Skid Row Las Vegas. And I'm I like, screw that. I will risk getting rolled by winos rather than this. I'm not doing this. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, that, that is such a great story. Thank you for telling us that. So, as you're the sports analogy guy, what sports analogy do you have for us today? Well, I'm going to build off uh, build off the last one. It is again, you know, what I told you that you know coaches might enjoy putting the weird guys together to see what happens. Um, there's another movie, one of my favorites, is a Paul Paul Newman uh, Struther Martin thing called Slapshot. I don't know if you're familiar. Of course, with I am. hockey. Of course, okay. Of course. Do you remember the Hanson brothers? Of course. Okay. The Hanson brothers are the perfect uh, example of this where, you know, let's, let's keep the weird guys by themselves. And in the case of the brothers, it's easy because there's three of them and you put brothers together. But on the football teams I was on in college, a lot of times I really thought that I might've been one of the weird guys because I always got roomed with another weird guy. So again, if you go back and you look at, Okay, you know, it's fate that brings Neil and Dell together. But in the sports world, it's not fate, it's coaches. And I still say that somewhere, somewhere, there was somebody watching up above that were betting on what was going to happen with Neil and Dell. And, and, and when you watch this movie, don't you kind of wait for, especially in the scenes we're talking about here, don't you kind of wait for, okay, somebody's going to blow here. Yeah, completely. Okay, well, that there. Sports analogy? and foreshadowing all in one. You're welcome. All right. Excellent. Thank you very much. <laughs> so you want to tell people how they can get in touch with you? Yeah. Dubsism.com. D-U-B-S-I-S-M. It's uh, first page search result on Google. Uh, if you like uh, old movies and you want to see how they combine with the world of sports, Dubsism is the place for you. Uh, Yahoo email, Facebook, Instagram, you name it. I'm out there. Dubsism. D-U-B-S-I-S-M. All right, excellent. And while you're doing that, you can go rate, review, and subscribe on any podcatcher you might be using. And you can find me uh, anywhere that you search for Movie Rob Minute, whether it will be on Facebook, Twitter, our website, whatever. So until tomorrow, you're f- Yeah, you're f-